Hi everyone, welcome back to What the Fintech, your Fintech for you show. What the Fintech is a news and information platform covering the latest Fintech development in Hong Kong, Singapore, China and Asia. Join us every week for an engaging conversation with various Asian tech figures to discuss about entrepreneurship, emerging technology, customer engagement and partnerships. Before starting this interview, please feel free to share your question on the comment sections, share, like and, you know, bring the message to everyone. And today we have Theodora, my good friend I haven't seen for a very long time. How are you? I am very good, thank you. Glad uh, to be back. I'm very excited to have you here because I didn't see you for the almost three years. Last mm -hmm. time was at the FFF, so Asian Financial Forums in 2020. Welcome back in Hong Kong. Thank you. Yes, it was a black hole, but it's okay. <laughs> Everything is much better now, so yes. Perfect, perfect. Um, you are super famous on Twitter. You are on, every time on the top 100 influencers, 20 influencers on the fintech across the world. But maybe some of the people will just discover you today. So maybe can you introduce yourself, where you're from, what you have done and what you're doing now? Sure. First of all, I don't normally use that I word because my joke always is if I can't even influence my children, I can't really influence people. I have a point of view and I have an opinion and I'm not afraid to share it. So that's how I normally phrase it. I was actually born and raised in Hong Kong, so this is coming home, um, although I moved to the U.S. more than 30 years ago. So my background, I did not come from banking. Spoiler alert, I spent half of my career in telecom. So building systems, tearing systems down, uh, running IT apps and what have you. And, um, and I spent the last seven years in uh, fintech and working with fintech startups and entrepreneurs and banks. And I guess we'll go into that a little bit more later. Um, before we go on this a bit later, I'll, uh, one of the questions I love to ask to everyone is, uh, what was the turning point in your life to become <laughs> someone in a fintech, entrepreneurs or venture capital? Yes, it's a good question. And, and that was actually what led to it. So um, I had two kids and after I had my first one, I took a sabbatical. And after I had my second one, I wanted to come back to work. Well, unbeknownst, I had no idea. It was really, really hard for a mother with newborn children to come back to work because the first question I always got, got asked was, can you still work? And my comeback always is not like I had a brain surgery. Of course, I can still work. Um, they never asked my husband. So why is it that you would be so fixated on the fact that I could not work just based on your assumptions? Anyway, it took me a long time. Uh, that one year was very eye-opening for me to realize that wow, there's this whole side of how our society operates and assume things that I was not aware of. Um, and then I made a couple of turns and I ended up in a nonprofit. And that was my big career turning point because my focus at that time was looking at the well-being of older adults. And a lot of the work that the organization was focusing on was healthcare. Now, if we think about aging and getting older and healthcare, those are visible signs. But then the question becomes, what about the things you cannot see? Right. What is the key enablement of having good health and being able to live long um, and live healthy? And the bottom of it is money. And so that was what started my fintech journey. Perfect. It's a good introduction for this show. Um, you are working and you have developed your own VC, if I'm not mistaken, and conventional ventures, right? Can you maybe explain what you are doing, how you support entrepreneurs and maybe give some information about what you're doing and, you know, on the basis, uh, your portfolio, everything? Yeah, it's a good question. So the company has actually taken a few turns. When the concept first started, I was coming out from the nonprofit. And the reason for that was I saw a lot of entrepreneurs that I met along the journey 
that they told me I can't have access to resources. I cannot find developers. I cannot find VCs. I can't find money because either of their gender, their race, or where they lived. I remember having someone calling me from Texas, and he was driving to Silicon Valley. And I told him, I said, just call me when you get back. He's like, no, 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 I am moving. I'm literally picking up to move because I could not find the people I need in Texas. And that was one of the big reasons of why the company started was at that time I had a huge network of VCs. I had a huge network of financial institutions that I know and people that are passionate about changing the status quo. And so I thought my job is I could bring them together. So when did you start this uh, project exactly? This was, oh, this was back in 2016, 17. And uh, you mentioned you have like a couple of turns. Yeah, you take different yeah, directions. So. we did, we did. So at one point in time, I actually wanted to create a fund um, that focused on funding underserved demographics. And then I realized that it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of skills and skill sets that I would take time to develop. And I figured, well, the best thing I can contribute is actually contribute my network and the connectivity I have with different stakeholders. And so that's why I backed away from it and ended up spending a lot of time connecting founders with funders. So you're very known for being one of the fintech figures. And you're also one of the bridge of, uh, you know, uh, I want to say the USA ecosystems mm -hmm. and also Asian ones, because before COVID you are traveling a lot here. But you have like a deep network in US. You have a strong network also in Asia. Can you maybe elaborate a bit about what are the key strengths of the different uh, um, um, ecosystems and what are the differences as well? Good question. I love that. Um, so I, I think what's been fascinating, I always tell people back home in the US is please look towards the East for inspiration. And, and that was not an understatement. Uh, I remember being in, uh, in China a couple of years ago and I saw everyone was paying with this QR code. Right. It was it was pretty much cashless. I tried to get into a taxi in China. And of course, the DD app didn't work for me because I had a, a US credit card back then. They didn't support it. You needed to have a Chinese bank. And, um, and so I had to hand the taxi driver cash. I got yelled at. And the second time I tried it, I got yelled at again. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Everyone is going around with the QR code. It's literally the life. It's not just payment, but all the all the aspects of, of a consumer's life. And I remember going back to the US, I'm like, you know, this is really fascinating. And all I got was blank stares, more blank stares. And people said, well, so you pay with a QR code. What's the big deal? I, I think what is interesting is we got so fixated with the technology itself in the US, we forgot what it actually enables, right? Because it's not just about paying with a QR code, it's to be able to allow, for example, small business owners who have access to financial services that they otherwise couldn't from a big bank. It's about being able to have all of the different aspects of a consumer's life in under one roof. And lately, what's been really fascinating to see in the US, uh, I mean, in the East, is the concept of expanding the super app to allow cross-border payment. Something that I don't think we quite appreciate in the U.S. because we're still paying with checks. We're still writing checks. So I think there is a lot we can learn. In the U.S., what's been really interesting is when we start, finally, when the concept of Super App is catching on the last year, it's more like looking inwards 
We are the big bank. We are this one big entity. What more things can we just group together under our brand, our own services? And I think it misses the the big point is you can expand beyond your immediate ecosystem to bring more different services, to bring more entities to provide better services to consumers. So it's, it's about how you look at things. Do you look at it from the bank's point of view or do you look at it from a consumer's point of view? Um, I can reconnect some memories as well of uh, being in Shenzhen six years ago. So at, my, at the beginning of my fintech journey, I went to an event there and I saw a person, he was homeless, he was on the street and asked for money and he didn't ask for cash, he had a, had QR, a QR code. code. Yes. yes, I was really surprised to see that. Even in Guilin, one day I was there and I, I bumped to that uh, old lady, she was a farmer and she was selling like some apple, orange and, and fruits. And she had also a QR code at the time, so she didn't accept the cash I had mm-hmm. in my pocket. Very interesting. One of the things I can see as well from US and Europe is uh, banking apps are super developed in Europe. And uh, you are also like the open API will help you to connect the data mm-hmm. from your banks to different platforms. And this, we don't have it yet here. For example, in Hong Kong, we don't have it yet in Asia in general. Do you have some point of view and some comments about it? We are not quite there yet in the US either. And um, I can tell you from a personal experience, I bank with a big bank in the United States. It's a U.S. bank. I have three different accounts for three different needs. I have a personal account that I had when I moved there to New York a long time ago. I had a second personal account um, where I live now. And then I have a third small business account, also under the same bank. Three sets of cards, three sets of logins. And I cannot transfer funds. I have to actually literally write myself a check and then use phone capture to move funds from one to the other. So voila. Um, I don't think we're quite there yet in the US. It has gotten better. Um, there are more uh, digital apps, right? More consumers are using it. I think that that's the interesting part. Um, we talked a couple of years ago a lot about how digital apps are more for quote-unquote digital natives. And I think from what we've seen worldwide in the last three years is everyone is using it as long as you can provide value. And that is the key bits that I hope we can take away from it, regardless of whether or not we're in the U.S. or in Europe, is if you can develop a solution that people can use and is easy for them to use, it will stick. Perfect. This is a good point. Um, what was the most exciting thing you have seen recently, maybe in the U.S. or from the news you share with all your your friends uh, on on you know on the what is happening everywhere in the world, and excites you the most, but also like give you hope for tomorrow. Um, I like I like what I've seen in uh, some of the the development in Southeast Asia. I've been watching it for the last two three years um, with how the big technology companies are using tech to enable more people to do more things. Um, and I mentioned earlier with cross border. Um, payment, but also being able to provide a bigger platform for people to access, regardless of what country you are. I, I think to be able to have something to connect all of the different local wallets, that's helpful because I don't want to have to pull out different things when you go to different places, right? It, it we we have physical borders, but what can we use technology for to basically connect us together? Yeah, we see uh, news almost every week about Alipay and Ali, uh, Alipay Plus to be connected to uh, other countries. Interesting, interesting. On on your role of uh, being a venture capitalist, do you support or sometimes a company uh, with your time, with your skills? Do you 
also do some trainings, workshops to support them to grow? Yeah, um, so I do a lot of mentoring um, with different accelerators and depends on the time when I'm not traveling um, and also depends on the time when I'm not writing. But uh, I also do uh, talks with universities. So, you know, last year when we came up with the book Beyond Good, when it was published, we did quite a few different sessions with different university students. And it's basically trying to get them to see the bigger megatrends, the macroeconomics, what else is impacting our world regardless of where we live, right? So you look at climate crisis is one thing. doesn't matter where you live. It is impacting our lives. But the global south is probably suffering the most. So what can we do in financial services? Money makes the world go around. Um, and then you look at poverty. Half of the world's population does not have enough food. There's more we can do. Right. So I, I think it's, it's looking back at what is impacting globally and what we can do on a local level. Yeah, uh, I see what you mean here. Um, my next question will be, did you face any difficulties when you start your venture capital? And uh, are you still facing some of those difficulties now or new difficulties? It's, it's very hard to have your own business, um, especially in the U.S., because how... Everything is structured, is very structured around having a full-time employment with a company, right? So your credit is tied to having a stable paycheck. Your health insurance is tied to your full-time employment. So those are things that people need to think about when they start their own company, especially, especially in the United States. I think the other part that's hard is it's almost like a feast or famine kind of thing, right? Your income is bound to be uneven. So how do you plan for it, for when things come in and when things don't come in, and how do you bridge them? Um, that's always tough. You mentioned about uh, all this question about the uh, change of climate and uh, how to take care of the others. And this is mostly like value and purpose. Mm -hmm. uh, my question would be, what drives you and your organization? Can you help to support all these things now? Purpose, purpose, purpose. Um, it's always, it always, the, the question you have to ask yourself every morning when you wake up is why am I doing what I'm doing, right? Are you there to make money? Are you there to make the world better? Are you there to try to help someone? I think having that clarity of what you're trying to get to can help you get through not just the day, but also get through when times are crazy. Um, Last time we spoke a bit and uh, when we proposed this interview, you also mentioned that uh, most of the people think you treat for a living. <laughs> so I treat I a lot. Yeah, so this is the common myth about you? Or it's, uh, That's basically what people thought. I, it, it's actually fascinating. I kept getting asked quite a few times, Theo, how, how do you make a living out of tweeting? No, I did not make a living out of tweeting because if that's the case, then something is really wrong. Um, no, I tweet a lot because I read a lot. I read five newspapers every morning. And I have subscription to a bunch of magazines I love to read because I think reading gives you a different perspective of what people think and also gives you a different perspective of how the world operates. And so when I read something, I have an opinion, I share it. I don't know if you have an opinion on this, but uh, <laughs> I was watching uh, one of my uh, French TV show uh, uh -huh. on the French television and they got the minister of finance and as a minister of finance, he will pay, if he will pay the eight dollars per month on Twitter oh. now that Elon Musk is, uh, <laughs> is the owner. <laughs> if you don't have a views, it's fine. But uh, no, I, I think it. I think it goes back to. It goes back to what you're using the social media for, right? I don't have the chat mark with my account. Um, I if you 
if you're willing to pay for that and, and if that money goes into giving you certain benefits that align with you, then that's great. If it's a way to pay so you can seem like you can get a status, then that's different, right? It goes back to if you truly want a community to be inclusive, at the end of the day, doesn't matter if you're on Instagram, on Twitter, or LinkedIn, these are communities, right? And we need communities in order to survive and thrive. So if if your idea is to have somewhere inclusive where everyone can have a voice, then no, doing the eight dollar a month does not does not go with that purpose. Does community is indispensable for you right now? Uh, it's a loaded question. Community is important. Um, I think that's what we need to bounce ideas off. That's also what we need to help lift each other up. So, for example, the last two months has been really hard. There's been a lot of layoffs in the U.S. And so what's been amazing is that through that community, we are able to connect people and just let each other know where there are opportunities. And so that that's the power of a community and that, and that's what's good for what it goes haywire is if from a broader community perspective when we don't know how to agree to disagree and i think that is the bad side of social media because it's okay we can all have different opinions it's fine because we all brought up differently we are supposed to be different but we are supposed to be able to meet halfway i'm part of your active following i want to say i'm reading your shit like every day and i see like sometimes you share a lot of thought about economy macro trends um you spoke about inflation rising interest rate what is your view of what you are seeing at this moment i think i think this is a good opportunity for financial services to step up right inflation is something that impacts everybody but it also impacts people that don't have the means to live We should not be asking people whether or not they can afford to keep the house warm versus pay a mortgage, right? And so if banks are able to step up three years ago in the beginning of COVID, right, and realizing a lot of people are struggling, let's work together. Let's keep that trust. Let's keep that good faith and look at what else we can do this time around. Same with mortgage rates. Mortgage rates have doubled in both the UK and the US in the last year to the point where some people might not be able to afford their homes anymore. So the question is, what can we do? And um, except just people like you are speaking about inflation and everything, do you see any um, investment methods growing over the past year for the startups that you are working with? I see more angel fund, which actually is, is an interesting thing. I mentioned that in uh, Hong Kong FinTech Week on stage when we were talking about funding. We think that next year we're going to see a lot more M&A just because valuation has gone down and it seems to be the perfect time to build, right? Um, at the same time, because a lot of people have left the corporate life and trying to look for something different, perhaps something with more flexibility, there's also more people willing to write really small checks Therein goes back to the word community because that's when if you have a big group of people who are working together, who believe in certain things, you can band together and fund the, you know, early stage startups, ones that, you know, bigger VC firms wouldn't be interested to look at. Yeah, I see that a lot. Also see uh, non-dilutive uh, investments such mm -hmm. as revenue-based financing with 
growing also in Asia. I think it came from USA as well, but uh, probably, yeah. yeah. But it's good because we talk a lot about diversity, right? And that's a way for us with a diverse community to invest in things that resonate with us. Do you see any challenge between the startups that you are working with and the big corporates if they are related to fintechs or financial institutions, for example? Um, maybe on the legacy system, maybe on the way that they collaborate, maybe on the way that bankers can be sometimes close-minded. And slow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we hear that a lot. Um, I, I think one one thing we have seen switch is um, they do complain a lot about banks being slow, uh, about the processes taking forever, about a lot of checks and balances. I don't think that has changed. I don't think that's new either. Um, but I do hope, and I think I do see more cooperation between the, the entities. Remember back in the day when it used to be, oh, fintech's going to be eating the banker's lunch. No, 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 no. We still need banks, but we also need fintechs. So let's work together. What's been interesting is now you have the element of the big tech firms. What are they doing in, in the mix? Um, it was last year, right? Google backed out from uh, continuing down the path of, of doing more in, in banking services per se, um, because they are a big cloud provider. Um, and so the question is, all right, so what else are people doing? What is Walmart doing? Walmart bought a fintech. But I believe last, last week, what the rumor is, because now they're so focused on building that specific fintech to support their own employee, which is a huge base and their own customer base, that they ended up backing out from a lot of features that the original batch of customers were interested in. Remember Simple? Simple was amazing. Um, can we not have another one of that? There's there's a lot of room that we can do, especially with community-focused fintech startups, You know, things that serve specific demographics that big banks are not too interested in. I, it, there's a lot of room. Same with when we talk about demographics, when we talk about Hong Kong and Singapore. I believe the region in Asia is big enough to have multiple, multiple groups of people supporting different needs for fintechs and banks. It doesn't need to be this versus that. Yeah, um, I got like uh, someone yesterday coming here to speak about the corporate credit card and corporate credit card for SMEs especially. Um, so like they are not served by all the banks here mm -hmm. and there's a big need and they are growing really fast and they just raised 40 million of USD company based in Asia. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I think the new scene of the of the uh, of the fintech entrepreneurs from now, since last year or two years ago, mm -hmm. is pretty strong right now and have a real product culture that we didn't have before here, for example. And we also see also see like a lot of uh, fintech acquiring other fintechs and create super yes. conglomerate of fintechs mm -hmm. now in Asia. I think it's it's developing in mm -hmm. uh, in US and Europe. Maybe you have seen that a lot uh, before i'm working more on the back end right yes. the infrastructure building the infrastructure getting getting the foundation right i think it's good i as as depressing as it feels at times this year you know with all the news of layoffs and, and fintech startups and whatnot if we take a step back we see this is happening and everywhere and we have seen this before haven't we in the last financial crisis and what came out of it was a much more vibrant and stable ecosystem so perhaps that's something to look forward to next year um do you also help those uh, big corporate you are working with but also the company you are supporting to collaborate to create an ecosystems and add added value to the end customer 
In what sense? I mean, like developing the, for example, the customer experience, developing mm -hmm. also the um, connectivity between the platforms. Not a physical connectivity, but more so from a needs perspective, right? Yes. So there's a lot of, one of the jokes we always have is, you know, if you're working in a bank, what's the last time you actually go talk to people in your demographics or you just like, send out a survey and say, we did that. I think we need more of if you are developing something for people, for that specific group of people, how well do you know them, right? And and I think that's the bridge that I love to play. Yeah, I'm, I'm working for a bank, and you know, um, sometimes we do experiment, and we also do interview of the mm -hmm. of the client customers, and it's interesting to go to speak with them and understand exactly the pain point and see how we can bring value for them to mm -hmm. create a. Uh, LC ecosystem with uh, it is very different isn't it from you know oftentimes we have our own assumptions mm -hmm. of how people use our products and then when you go out there like no 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 we don't do that um I, I think it's same in banking and same as in other um industries to what extent is a consumer actually constrained for improving the digital uh, services for a bank or financial institution ha huh. <laughs> I, 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 I would I would frame that as are you actually providing value add for those consumers, right? We have a lot of preconceived notions of, well, consumer A in this particular box is not going to do X. Consumer B in this particular box is not going to do Y. I don't necessarily think that we should put people in a box, right? For example, in, in the space I used to work in and I still am very interested in the over 50 and under 50. People like to say, well, you know, millennials do certain things, Gen Z do certain things, and Gen X do certain things, and then the rest are all over 50. But if you think about that, that, that makes no sense because the needs of people that are older than 50 years old are not homogeneous, just as the needs of those who are under 50 are not homogeneous either. Right? It depends a lot on your background, on where you are in the stage of life, what you do, and who is around you. I, I think we pay too much attention to segmenting and we pay too much attention to the personal part of personal finance. We talk a lot about personal finance, but we don't exist in a vacuum. We're not a silo. Just like I have kids and I have older parents. My needs and my actions of what I do when I make a financial transaction is not my own because I need to think about what I do, how that would impact not just my own retirement, but also how that would impact my kids' education, mm -hmm. how that would impact for when I need to save up and help my parents when they get older. So if, if, that's, if that's something I hope we can do more as an industry is look at financial services more holistically as, as not just an atom, but a molecule. Um, this brings some memories back to me from your newsletter, the FinTech Pros, and also some of your tweets uh, about how like financial institutions can learn from FinTech and tech companies. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned a lot about customer centricity. So maybe you can elaborate a bit more because what you just said before bring me to this uh, topic. Yeah, because it's, it's, if we look at a customer, right, what we see as part of a customer, there are tons of things around them. It's, we call it... Um, a circle of care, right? So the people that have actions that can impact what we do. So I'll, I'll use that example that I just talked about earlier. I am almost 50, right? And so if you talk to any wealth manager, for example, they'll be like, well, you know, this is how you need to plan for the next 10 years and plan to decumulate. 
Well, but wait a minute. My kids are just turning ten and twelve. So in about eight years' time, they will be going to college. So that means that in the United States, since college is really, really expensive, you need to start saving for it. But guess what? In ten years' time, my parents will be eighty. So there is a whole aspect of financial caregiving we need to think about. So when if we can be if we can put customer in the center of designing a product and designing a solution, then you need to look at not just that one person who will be decumulating in ten years, but more so, how do we help that person accumulate? Fast enough at the same time, save for their kids' education, same time plan for their parents'、um, financial caregiving, and the same thing goes with my parents where they bank, right? Which is which is another huge bank in Hong Kong. When they look at their finances, it's not just them because there's all these extended families outside, and and we need to do more. It's not just me. Yeah.、Um. I think there is also like a, a big thing missing from a lot of people is how you can help to manage your finance and how be close to your finance, understand the segregation of your cost, what you need to, the money you need every day to pay、mm-hmm. the bill and live, and the money you can invest or use later for the goals. It's not that、uh, um, user friendly right now with some of the banks. Yes, you know what they make it very user friendly. Use more money. Have you seen all the buy now pay later's that's been going around for the last year, year and a half? Everywhere you go, they make it very easy for you to split the payment. I think、uh, last month, even Deliveroo in the UK, you can now do buy now pay later. Question is, do you really want consumers to do buy now pay later on a twenty dollar pizza? Probably not the best way. I have no problem with providing tools to consumers to help them manage their money better, but what I have problem with is when we do that. We don't give them the tools to put it across the board, right? So each one of these providers, they can say, "Well, you know, I look at it and how many relationships they, how many of these buy now pay later they have with me." But what about with all these other providers? When you put them together as a whole picture, the consumer has no way of knowing what they need to pay and when. And I think it just makes a bad situation that much worse. We have a responsibility to help them, not make it worse. I can speak with you for hours and hours, but I think we are really close to the end of this interview. Otherwise, you will be here until tomorrow morning. <laughs> <laughs> no,、but、let's not do that. I have a couple of last questions I like to ask to you know have a, a kind of a key takeaway from this、uh, discussion. Also,、um, if there is only one piece of advice you have to give to the listener or the watcher of this video, what will it be?、Hmm. Be intentional in what you do.、Uh, I, I think that is very important. We talk a lot about. Um, having diversity, right? But don't just give someone a seat at the table. Give them a mic to speak, right? Have them participate and be intentional about it. Don't create all kinds of restrictions and conditions and say, "Well, you know, only if you're famous, and I'll give you a seat." Good one, good one. What is the biggest takeaway you hope is not to listen to?、Um, when we spoke uh, to this uh, before this interview, you mentioned pay attention to macro trends.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and look at what you can do. I think all of us, we have、um, the means to take a small action, and small actions they grow.、Um, I would like to ask you, what's next for you? I know you read a book,、uh, you you write a book, sorry, and you also do a newsletter. You have also your podcast, you have your Twitter. So, what's next? I'm writing a second book. Oh yeah, can、uh-huh. you share the topic of it or? Is it secret at this moment? It it is exciting.、Um, I won't spoil the details, but it should be out by summer. 
of 2023 okay, looking forward on the bookshelf. So yes, hopefully next time when I see you, I can actually give you a copy. Oh, I would love, I would love. Uh, where people can learn more about you? So um, beyondgoodbook.com or unconventionalventures.com. Okay, and mm -hmm. LinkedIn as well, I think. And LinkedIn and, <laughs> and, and Twitter, Twitter yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And um, there is anything that people can subscribe maybe to join the you know, newsletter or maybe like in terms of products that you have? Uh, yeah, you can you can uh, subscribe to the podcast, One Vision, um, or just go to the LinkedIn. The Fintech Pros newsletter is on there. I normally try to write once a week, if not twice. So, Okay, I wish us a link of uh, all your podcasts and articles that you have uh, with everyone. Uh, thank you very much. It was a big pleasure for me to have you here. It's good to see you back in Hong Kong, and I hope we can do a second episode later when you are back uh, in yeah. 2023. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you very much. It was Theodora from uh, Unconventional Ventures. I hope you enjoyed this, uh, this uh, video or podcast and feel free to share it with your friends. Thanks. Bye-bye.